good morning, everybody. Welcome to Journey Church. My name, after I knocked Jordan over there, is Ron Swanson. When I was younger, uh, every once in a while, it was a treat if my parents were going out to go and get a TV dinner. Do they still sell those? It was awesome. Now, I would pick, they had one called the Hungry Man. Do they still do that? I haven't looked at it for a long time. And my name being Ron, what's my last name? Swanson. Yeah. I thought for a few moments there, and then other people would ask, do you own Swanson TV dinners? Do they still have Swanson TV dinners? Yeah. So if, if I owned Swanson TV dinners, I would not be standing here today. I'd be probably in some yacht somewhere cruising around the Caribbean um, praying for you guys. Uh, but... <laughs> I dug those things. I don't know what it was, man. Mom and dad leaving, we get to pick out a Hungry Man dinner with all the little sections and stuff, right? The Salisbury steak or whatever. I don't know what kind of, whatever meat product it was, it had gravy on it and it was delicious. Um, I'll have to look next time. I haven't seen one or even looked at them for a long time. Or just buy one to see how great they are, were, were, maybe. Then uh, recently, um, there was a show. Anybody know the show Parks and Recreation? Yeah, nobody wants to really admit it. You, you watch TV? Okay, I do. All right. <laughs> and there was a character on there uh, that people seem to really love. The show is not, I think it went off air a couple years ago. And uh, he, like, loves meat and bacon Likes to shoot guns, and he's a manly dude, quite a character on the show, quite loved, and his name was what? Ron Swanson. Yeah. Well, is that funny or something? <laughs> he, was a, he was an interesting character, quite loved by people. So I would often, it still happens, uh, it's still watched, you know, in syndication, I'm sure, He's making tons of money and done other things. Um, but uh, I, it, still, a few times a month, someone on the phone will go, your name's not Ron Swanson. And I'll go, I am the real Ron Swanson. The other one, he's a character on a TV show. I have been, this is no lie, on social media, like, cursed out by people when they discover that Ron Swanson, and there's many of us, is not the Ron Swanson they were looking for on Instagram. It's a pastor that lives in Southern Oregon. And so they think that now they have the right to tell me that I am false, phony, and proclaim to the world that this is not the real Ron Swanson if you're going to find him. And, and um, I just block them and you know delete them from my account. But there is plenty of times when people are like, your name is Ron Swanson? That is so cool. And then I try to get something free from them, and it doesn't work. Um, one of the things that happens with that is that you can start basing your identity. So I know, like, the character, that actor is that character for the rest of his life. And, and uh, you know, you start living 
in light of that character. So for example, now don't get me wrong, I, I love meat and bacon, but not as much as some of you think. So on Facebook, I constantly get people posting things about bacon and meat all the time based upon the character. Well, and sometimes I talk about food in here quite often, but, but it's, a lot of it's based on that character or they'll send me things about him or whatever. And our identity be, can become wrapped up in what people think or say about us, can it? Some of you, in a more serious way, have probably been playing out the identity that you have had for a long time, and a lot of it is in negative ways. What people have said about you, declared about you, declared you to be, apart from the grace and, and greatness of God, they've said this is who you are and how you act. And some of you have embraced it so much that you've just given in to that as opposed to believing what God says about you and living in light of that. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. In our story so far, in the life of Joseph, this is week seven. We'll wrap up next week. It's hard to look back and go, we've been talking about Joseph. But more than that, not just Joseph, but God for the past seven weeks. Even to pause there for a moment, I've really been challenged in looking at this series this way, that the story of Joseph is not about Joseph as much as it is about God and God's people, the land, the seed that would eventually turn into Jesus, the promises of God. Joseph becomes just a character in the big story. And we've challenged ourselves constantly. Look at the big story of God. Look at the big story of God. There is something greater going on here that we need to keep in mind. The sovereignty of God over the whole, not just turn this story into behavior modification and say, this is Joseph and how he lived, so we live this way and move on. There's something bigger, grander, greater going on. And I think a lot of times we need to look at our life that way as well. The, the long isn't one of the phrases, the long game. God has a long game. There's, there's something from here to here that he's doing. And a lot of times we're just right here at this little pinpoint place. And it can even be that way concerning our identity. This is such a big topic that we've talked about before, are talking about now, and we'll talk about again our identity, who we are, who God says we are. So we've seen that. And so one of the things that's happening in the story so far in the life of Joseph and his father and his brothers and the nation of Israel, the Jewish people and what God is creating is some of the reasons why are becoming um, sharper, like into sharper focus. It's, it's becoming a reality to what God is doing. They're beginning to see it a little more. I think if we keep that perspective about God, where we're at, the long game, the big picture then things as we move along through it will become, we won't maybe get the whole story sometimes, but we will begin to see things a little better than we did before if we keep the right perspective, embracing who he says we are, what he's helping us become. Things will begin to take shape, and he's doing that in the people. In the story, we see in the very beginning a, 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 a messed up family probably relates more to many families in this room 
than, than ever. The family system is so damaged today, isn't it? So jacked up in many ways. Many of you are trying to hold it together, bring it back together. God has done miracles. God is working. We saw this mess of this family from the very beginning. A father who favored his son over all the rest, all the brothers who hated Joseph, their brother, so much so that they pretended he died and sold him into slavery. We saw in the life of Joseph then God's miraculous work even in this massive amount of suffering for he would go from pit to palace and kind of back and forth again till he becomes like second in command of all of Egypt. He's not even living in the promised land. He's not even the main really character of the big story. Joseph isn't even in the line of Jesus. He, he's not one of the main characters in the, the big story of God, but he is a character there that God is using, even in a place of suffering at times, then of greatness, to do great things and to, to save the community of people, even though at times he can't see it. And one of the things that God is doing throughout this, because then the brothers show up in Egypt because of the famine in the land. God uses dreams to get everything kind of going and moving. Dreams begin to be fulfilled. Things start happening so much so that we looked at last week, this great point of forgiveness where the brothers all show up for the second time. Joseph has been hidden from them this whole time. They didn't recognize who he was, and suddenly he pops out and goes, hello, it's me. And, and uh, they can't believe it. It's miraculous. Someone they hadn't heard from, heard of for years has suddenly now reappeared. God has done something miraculous. And Joseph will say multiple times, he'll do it in 50. We'll wrap it up next week. He'll say what, what the enemy basically intended, what you intended for evil, God, he turned it into something good. I think that's such a great principle for all of our lives. If we know our identity and look at God's long game, know the whole story. That's why Brent's class, these classes we did this season for our small groups, kind of a small group setting, his story of God, story of the Bible class, he's got one more next week, was so important. It'll probably be something we keep coming back to because we think and believe that we must know the whole story of God. Too often, we look at one little chunk of our lives and determine that's who we are. And someone has said about you, that's who you are that's what you did, and they declared this, and you've lived in that this whole time. What a sad state. Some of you, it's, I'm unlovable, I'm no good. Some of you, someone has told you, you'll never be any different. Some of you, this, the past sin has dictated the successful future. And some of you have just flat out given up. But one of the things that we see throughout this story, I'm not going to go back through the whole thing again, but we see not only the story, the, the whole reasons why coming into sharper focus and taking shape, but listen, we see the people of God, individuals coming into sharper focus, who they are. They're rising up. One of the brothers, remember we talked about Judah? He went from one of the worst to one of the best stood up for everybody. He gave his own life. He basically said, take my life. I will sacrifice it for my brother. 
It's just an amazing thing. They're coming into sharper focus. They're coming and becoming like who God wants them to be. They're taking shape through all this ups and downs. The individuals are, the family is, and the community is, and God is birthing out of this a nation. I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe you're in the pit, and all you can think about is getting out. I just want out, and if I can get out, everything will be fine. Maybe, maybe, I don't know for sure, I'm not declaring this upon you, maybe you're exactly where God needs you to be. So that he could bring your life into sharper focus. He can help you with who he says you are, your identity. Maybe, like we see here, we'll see it again this morning. He needs to get you out of this place and get you into this place over here that seems like it's not the place where you're supposed to be. And let me declare, it's probably not the place where you're supposed to stay long term. But he needs you there right now so that you can be separated so he can kind of reshape you, get you back into the place that he wants you to be in. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're like, this is the worst place it feels like, but you can look back afterwards and go, that was the best place for that time. And I've heard testimony and testimony of people that have been in prison, been at the bottom, and at the moment they just wanted out. But when they look back, what God did in them in those times, it was the best place for them to be. Now, we would never say that right there, right? And believe me, my prayer isn't like, hey, God, just send us all to jail so we can get focused. <laughs> get us in the most lowest, worst spot, the most horribly emotional you know, leave us in the pit for a long time so we can just all get better. I'm not praying that. But it is something to evaluate when we're there. However that came about. So the story, Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. God has, has used all that's been going on to bring the nation, the people, the family back together. What an amazing story so far. We pick it up. We're going to look through two chapters right now. A little bit of reading on screen or in your Bibles right there, starting with chapter 47, verse 1. A little bit of me telling you little parts. We'll come to the end. I'll give you a few principles to think about with me today. We'll take some communion together, sing a song, and I'll give you a blessing to go concerning what we talked about. Chapter 47, verse 10. Uh, the brothers have been reunited Family has come together. Dad has shown back up in his old age. He can't believe it. My son is alive. I can't even fathom this. He has a family of his own. It's such a beautiful thing that God is reshaping, refocusing, bringing and reestablishing them all together again. It says, then Joseph went to see Pharaoh. Remember, he's second in command in Egypt. This is crazy. What a contrast between where they're at now and what hundreds of years later will be. Joseph went to see Pharaoh and told him, my father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. They're here. The famine, this famine is going on. They need food. They're starving. They've come with all their flocks, herds, and possessions. They left nothing behind. Remember, we said last week, you've got to go all in 
in this. It's my struggle sometimes. I hold little things back, but the people of God at that time left what was promised and went all in. They took everything. They come with all their flocks, herds, possessions, and they are now in the region of Goshen. Joseph took five of his brothers, which is interesting. Why didn't he bring them all? I don't know if he picked out the best. There's a few embarrassing ones, like I'm not bringing you before Pharaoh. Man, you're going to mess this up, man. I don't trust you. I know some of you. I'm going to take you, 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 and you. You're questionable, but come on. All right. Okay, and he, he takes them before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, and he set this up. When Pharaoh asked this stuff, here's what you tell him. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? They replied, we are servants, are shepherds, just like our ancestors. We're shepherds. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is our identity. We've come to live here in Egypt for a while. This is not permanent. We've come here for a while, for there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine was, is very severe there. So please... Joseph had told to ask this ahead of time. So we request permission to live in the region of Goshen. It is separate from the land of Egypt. We want our own place. We're just here for a while. We want to hole up here, feed our flocks. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Hundreds of years later, a Pharaoh's going to want to kill them all, all the Jews, Destroy the nation. Right now, this Pharaoh's going, take anything you want, it's yours. Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them, give them, this is so crazy, give them the best land of Egypt. You can have the best. Let them live in the region of Goshen. And he adds to it, and if any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. That's how much he saw of them. Look what God is doing and done. This is amazing. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob, look at what he does. He blesses Pharaoh. We'll talk about that next week, this blessing and some of the things that come with it. How old are you, Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years. Well, I bet you have, man. 130 hard years. But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. We see then this blessing happen. Joseph then comes along in verses 11 through 26. He assigns land to his family. He's this advocate that in turn assigns the land and provides food for them. He takes care of his family in a big way. Meanwhile, all the Egyptians in Egypt, they're starving. And they go to Joseph. Because remember, Joseph, through the dreams of Pharaoh, had established how the nation of Egypt and the whole world, for that matter, is going to make it and survive through seven good years and then the seven famine years. This goes back a few chapters. And he said, we're going to save up for the seven good years so that the seven famine years, we're going to have food to give away. And so the famine happens. They're into it. The people are starving and struggling. It's severe. And so here's what happens. They keep coming to uh, Joseph and Pharaoh and saying, we need food. And so Joseph will go things like, well, then give me your land and I'll give you food. And give me your livestock. Give me your possessions. And the people, because they're so starving, 
are willing to give up and exchange everything for that food. That's what being starved does. We're willing to give up anything so that we can get what we think we need at that moment. And they need it. It keeps getting worse. And Joseph says, then, then give me you. And they become servants. They'll, they're willing. You can have us. We are Pharaoh's servants. Take us. We'll become, it's interesting, hundreds of years later, the Jews are going to become slaves, but right now the Egyptians are willing to be slaves because they want food. They are in need. And then Joseph even adds in there, listen, here's what we're going to do. You're going to give me not only all your stuff, all your land, you're going to become servants, but you're going to give me a part of your future as well. So from now on, when we're doing crops, when you're growing things to supply all everybody's needs, you're going to give me a fifth. You're going to give us more. They're willing to give up even their future. They're willing to give it all away. But it says that in the meanwhile, Genesis 47, we pick it up at verse 27. It says, meanwhile, remember we talked, I think it was a couple weeks ago, God is always working. Here's what's going on here. So when you are in the pit, when you are in this place that seems so horrible, as followers of Christ, this is how it works. It seems to me constantly in Scripture we see this. Here's what's going on here. It seems really horrible, but then we all, always find these places. But in the meanwhile, God is do, always doing something. Remember, we look at the long game, the big picture, see the whole story. There are times when we need to be reminded, if it's in the midst of famine, God has not abandoned us. In the meanwhile, he's doing something. There are times when I wish it really impacted me a little greater. But God has something bigger going on that we constantly have to go back to. These promises, these great things. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. Now look at what is happening. In Egypt, the Egyptians are willing to exchange everything, stuff, lives, all their land, their future for food. Meanwhile, in Goshen, where these, this little ragtag bunch of Israelites live, these Jewish people are beginning to be, you know, shaped and formed. It says they are there in Goshen. They acquired property. They were fruitful. Their population grew rapidly. So much so, this old man, when he sees his son alive, when he sees what God is doing, when this miraculous few verses here happen, it's, they're starving over there. They're acquiring things and living it up over here. It says that he lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. Look what a revived spirit does. May God today revive some of you in such a way that it carries you on. You live even longer. Maybe you have to get active in something. Hey, all of you that are approaching 130, Sometimes I feel like that. We said this before. Life is not over. All you, whatever a senior adult is today, okay? I think it's 53 above, you know, if I can get a discount somewhere. Then, you know, uh, your life is not over. Be mentors. Get involved. Do what you can for God's kingdom. Life is not done yet. May God revive us so much that we continue on in even a greater way. 
meant Jacob lives for 17 more years. He sees his grandkids. Man, I, I just pray that some of you that have given up because you think you're too old, or that we as a church provide a place for that. Some of the times it's our responsibility. You know, to, to provide opportunity for you. May we get better at that. He lived for 17 more years after his arrival in Egypt. So he lived for 147 years. That's just amazing. It's like I got 100 more years left to live. I don't know. Some of you are like, I do not want to live that long, man. <laughs> As the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, please do me this favor. And this is, a, this is big because he's, Look into the future at a promise. Remember, he sees the long game. He sees the big picture. He says, put your hand under my thigh. This was something they would do to, to kind of make an oath, make a promise to keep it, and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring this last request. Look at what he, he sees, the big picture. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. Take me home. This is not my home. He sees something grander, greater. This is not my home. Get me out of here. And Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. I will do it. I will do this. Jacob lives these 17 years longer. Man, what a great thing. Can you believe what has transpired so far? Jacob stood before Pharaoh and blessed him saw a son that he thought was dead alive into this grand height of life. What an amazing God we see just in the story so far. And we're not even done yet. Genesis 48, we wrap up this part of the story today with this last chapter in 48, verses 1 through 5. One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father. Remember, he had two sons in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. We looked weeks ago what those names mean, a beautiful picture of God, these declarations of who God is, even in the land, a declaration that I am not Egyptian. He named them Hebrew names. This is who we are. This is my identity. So he even had these sons' names that declared that constantly before him. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, look at this declaration that Jacob says. It's a grand declaration of who God is, what he's done, who he is, all these beautiful things. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you, he's relaying the promise to his son. Let me remind you of something, Joseph. God said to me, like he said to Abraham, our ancestor, I will make you fruitful, and I will multiply your descendants, and I will make you a multitude of nations. Remember at one time, they were just a band of like 70. Remember last week? But I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will give you, what he declares, not the land of Egypt, I will give you the land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession, even though right at that moment, they're in Egypt. Now I am claiming as my own sons, he declares something really beautiful. He's going to adopt these two boys as his own. 
Now I'm claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. And so these beautiful things happen in there, this grand declaration of God and the promises of God. Jacob goes on in the next verses and he reminds Joseph of Joseph's mother, Rachel, that died on the way somewhere. Sometimes death happens on the way. Everybody does not receive at that moment the big promises of God. It reminds me in there that along this journey that we're on, it's not all filled with joy. It comes with sorrow. We looked at that in Lamentations. We've seen that in the story. Again, God has something bigger happening, a grander scale of things that are continuing and going on. Jacob blesses Joseph's boys. And in verse 10, we pick up these couple verses. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see, so Joseph brought the boys close to him, and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, this, this really beautiful thing, he says, I never thought I would see your face again. I never could have imagined. I thought you were dead. I thought it was over. And maybe how some of you feel today. I had given up. I was ready to call it, to check out. I was ready to give up physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'd had it. I was losing everything. It seemed like I never thought I would see your face again. But now God, we see, again, God continuing to shape even the Father. God he declares, has let me see your children too. I didn't think I'd get to see you, and now I got to see my grandkids as well. What a, what a great, beautiful thing. There's this whole little thing with the blessing going on. We'll bring it up, blessing again last week. This goes back in some historical things that happened, same type of thing. You bless the older with this grand blessing. The younger serves the older. But right when, uh, right when they're going to do this blessing, Jacob, like it happened earlier on in their history, he switches hands and uh, he declares that the older will serve the younger. He just reverses the whole thing. And so that little part of the story happens. We're not going to go into it. We come to verse 15 and 16. Um, right after that happens and this blessing occurs, it says, he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name in the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. His blessing is based upon a promise. When we talk next week about blessing a little bit, there is something that I think I've even lost about blessing people based upon the promises of God, speaking over them, your children, family, life, church, whatever, and blessing people. So easy to curse them, isn't it? Sure, on the way to church here, someone was ready to curse, not bless the person in the other car. <laughs> or the person who took your seat this morning. He blesses them and switches hands and does all that. And we wrap up the chapter. Verse 48, verse 21 says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. 
Here he is again. He declares the promise of God, the big, long game, the big story, the big picture. Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you, and he will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. He will take you back. We'll look in a little bit what that means for Joseph. What are some things, just to give us some principles to take from this story today, some things that we must know whether we're living in famine or feast, scarcity or success, in the pit you know, or in the palace, wherever we are at, what are some things that we know, some repeated themes that we must remember? First, number one is identity. We need to know who we are. This is so important to remember. We have talked about it, are talking about it, and will continue to talk about it. Who are you? Are you what someone else says you are? Are you what your job declares about you? Are you what you are because of your possessions, because of your status, because of your power and authority? Who are you? Are you or do you even know what God says about you? One of the things that we see in this story, we've seen it already, but we see it again, is they understand practically who they are, and who they are puts them in a place where God wants them to be in Goshen. They say, when, when Pharaoh asks them, who are you? What do you do? We're shepherds. It had purpose behind it. We're shepherds, so we'd like to live in Goshen. They also declared multiple times, whether it was Jacob, Joseph, or the, the brothers, or anyone we're not here long term. We're sojourners. We're, we're travelers. This is not our home. Who are you? I think some of you are probably asking yourself right, right now that very question. Who am I? What am I? We base so much upon what we do, don't we? It's one of the things that we constantly ask when we first meet somebody, especially us guys. What do you do? Sometimes we want to lie and make up something really cool, huh? <laughs> or we go like this. A lot of times you might notice, oh, I'm, you know what I'm going to say, just. We already took it down a level. I'm just a, like it's not good enough. Like it's not where we're supposed to be. I'm just doing this now because it's the only thing. What if wherever we're at at the moment, we embrace it as the place where God wants us to be? Would that change anything for any of you? Whether it's home, family, job, even church for that matter. Constantly looking for the better thing. I have a problem with that. The greater thing, the bigger thing. Or we compare it to someone else. I'm not like them. I'm not good, as good as them. I, I don't look as good as them. It's my Ron Swanson thing. I'm not as good as the character on TV. I know, okay? I'm not the real Ron Swanson. He is. Whatever, you know? <laughs> These are people of promise, and they know it. And they're living that way. We're shepherds travelers. This is not our home. This is not our permanent place. And it's interesting, one of the things that God did, it looks like through the story, 
He's getting them out of the promised land. We talked about that. Like they are leaving, even in the story just now, we saw it was declared. Jacob says to Joseph, you'll go back to Canaan one day, the place where God promised our father Abraham. This is your land. And then they take everything and leave that land and go to the enemy of Egypt. But one of the things that was happening in Canaan, this might be a principle for some of you, is they were not living up to their true identity. So God pulled them out of Canaan for a period of time to put them in a place. Isn't it interesting? They don't even go into Egypt. He doesn't want them to become Egyptians. That's going to happen in hundreds of years. He's going to pull them out to get the Egyptian out of them. He takes them from Canaan, the promised land, for a temporary time, puts them in Goshen so they can be separate from both things because he's got to reshape them into who he called them to be, and he's got to restore their family and get them back together. So he pulls them out of the promise for now and doesn't let them go into that place for now, and there's where they're succeeding the greatest at that moment, separate from. He's got to restore their identity. It wasn't working there. It's not going to work there. So God places them in this new temporary place to preserve their true identity of who they are. Maybe it's a spot for you. Egypt will begin, and this Goshen area will begin to formulate who they are. It'll be an incubator for the growth of a great nation. Maybe God, in his sovereignty, in his control, sees what you don't and wants you to invest right where you're at even though it's not the place where he will keep you long term. What if you looked at it that way? What if that's the very place where he needs you right now? Knowing, living out of who you are has a lot to do with determining your behavior, decisions, dreams, and destiny. We need to know our true identity because we live out of our identity. As Christians, even as the church, we're being challenged with that. It was from day one in creation when Satan said, you can be like God. No, you can't. You aren't God. You're never going to be God. He is God. Remember we said that last week. He's the creator. I am the created. Some of us are trying to be God, because someone told us we could. And uh, that's not who we are supposed to be. So we're being challenged with that as Christians in this world today. I'm thinking about going to Jordan, and I've been watching some stuff on some of the persecution in, in Syria and, and, and other things, other religious stuff that is challenging who we are, and needing to stand on our faith. Listen, you cannot find your identity in and live life out of possessions. They'll leave you in want. You can't find it, live out of it, based upon what people say about you. What your profession is. The power that you've established or your authority, your own performance. 
If you're trying to do that, you are in for a long, long haul and a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. Are you living by what others say, maybe some of those things that I just mentioned, or are you living out of what God says? Brennan Manning says these words. I read this years ago to a group. He says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. So define, he says, yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. I am a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, not me. So we need to live life according to what God says about us. Now this goes way back for them. Before this time and then spoken of in the future, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. It's not on the screen. The declaration is, for you are holy people, God says to his, his people, who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other nations. You weren't greater and bigger and grander. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors, Abraham. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This would be spoken of these people hundreds of years later. And then Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, 11, man, he would declare, well, a bunch of verses we'll look at at the very end. He would declare that these people, us, are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's very own special possession, and that you are temporary residents and foreigners. And we need to know who we are, what our true identity is, and live in that. The, the other thing that I want you to know is your destiny. Know where you are going. We've already brought this up, but one of the things that we see in this story is this prosperity that the people of Israel are having in the land of Goshen, the place where God has them for that moment, this doesn't mean that this is the new place of promise. It's just temporary. Sometimes we can have such great success, such prosperity financially, maybe even spiritually, physically, whatever it is, that we think this is God's new place for us. This is it. I'm staying here. Again, it may be only a temporary spot where God has you. Don't place success with God on prosperity financially or physically. Sometimes we look at it that way. Man, I must be doing great because money's rolling in. Life is good. Everything's clicking. We need to know where we're going. These people even declared, hey, even though we're gaining possessions here, even though we're being rebuilt into God's family, learning our true identity, this is not our home. This is not my house. This is not long-term. I even think of it, just to put it in a very practical place, if you could be praying this coming Friday, I will meet with the owners of this, this entire campus. We don't own this place. We may never own it. 
I, I don't know if this is our home or not. We have an amazing deal here, but in about a year, this lease is up. You don't easily just walk out the door. We probably have a couple options. One, I just declare one Sunday right before it's done, just go, hey, you guys, we had a good run. I'll see you around town. Walk out the door. Drop the mic. Walk out. I go get a job, you know, at, at the Starbucks or something. I don't know if they let. I'm too old for that probably, huh? Or if God is truly God and sovereign, he's got something bigger. Now, grander? I don't know about that. I'm not going to make any promises. But I want to be where God is. I want to be in his spot. It's not based upon a building. The church is not a building. It's us. It's God's transformed people entering into a world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and see us living it. If we're here, we're here. If we're somewhere else, we're somewhere else. If you want to go along for that crazy ride, praise God. If you need to find someone else at that point, somewhere else, I'll be mad. But, you know, <laughs> feelings will be hurt. But going back before this story, Genesis 12, 15 to Abraham. Remember, we brought this up last week. It started with Abraham and Sarah, old age, no kids. God still promised them and said, leave the land Go to this place that I promised I'm going to do something. You're going to go. And then he's like, I don't know about that. I'll go. But, and, and God said, you're going to have a nation's going to come from you. You're going to have more descendants than you can see in the stars in the sky. Look outside. Look up. It's going to be bigger than that. You can't count them. That's your descendants. And he's like, I don't even have one right now. But we saw already that it's turned into 70. They had a child. It's turned into 70. Hebrews 11, it's a great chapter to read. Let me read part of it to you, and I'll give you the last point. Hebrews 11, all these people died still believing that God, this is a great hall of faith, chapter of faith. All these people died throughout Scripture still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. So it's a long game. Concerning Joseph, here's the end of the story. Remember, it's not even really about Joseph. When I think of the hall of faith and Joseph comes up, I want to hear the story of like, and Joseph, man, he went from the bottom to the top, from the pit to the palace. He went from nothing to something. That doesn't even come up. Hebrews eleven twenty two. 22, by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. He saw something bigger. When I die, don't leave me here. This is not home. You guys are going to go somewhere greater. Take my bones with you. I don't want to stay here. And that happens in Exodus 13, Joshua 24. The, the people of God take his bones back to the place of promise. So they all saw the long game. Hey, listen, let me remind you again. Don't mistake prosperity as a fulfilled promise. 
And don't, this isn't up there, but a little addition, don't mistake famine for unfulfilled promises. And can I tell you, like the people of Egypt, I beg of you, but I'm also telling myself, like the people of Egypt, they gave up everything, their lives, their future, for a little bit of food for the moment. It won't last. Don't exchange it. Don't exchange your true identity, your homeland, your truth. Don't exchange it for temporary pleasure. When you are in success or starving, you've got to be careful because we will become willing to exchange everything, our identity and destiny for temporary things, willing to give it away, and we will become slave to them. So know God's bigger story. And the last one is this. It's family. One of the things that God has restored is their identity as individuals and as a community. He's helped them see the bigger picture, the promises of God. It's family. It's no, we need to know whose we are, who we belong to. We see this in the story here. Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. You are my sons. God is building a community, a family, where everyone is included. Galatians 3 will say, there's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We belong to God. God, through Jesus, has adopted us into his family And he is attempting to restore us back to what he's called us to be. The church can be so divided, so broken. One of the things, I shot the article to Brent Barna. It's a a group that studies religion and church and stuff like that. I don't want to go into the whole study. But they classify it as churched, unchurched, and de-churched in the nation. The whole nation. Where are the... The top, I think it was like 20 cities that are most churched. We're not even close. It's all, you know, Bible Belt and all that. Then where's the most unchurched? I think the closest that would be here to us would be Portland. And then Barna studied for these few years and wrapped it up last year, de-churched. People that used to go to church, but in the past six months haven't. Do you know, like it was number 10? In the whole nation, Medford and Klamath Falls. Unbelievable. It's not that we're, it's unchurched. It's that people flat out have said, I just don't want to go to church anymore. Whatever that means, I don't know. But one of the things that we see God doing, we need to get better out of it, is He's rebuilding, he's reshaping, he's refocusing the people of God, whether it's the church as a whole in the valley or the people of God right in this room right now. We're family. Adopted in by the power and transformation of Jesus. And God is doing that in his people thousands of years ago. Identity is best maintained when we are living life 
together. The only way I'm going to remain in a place of knowing who I am, where I belong long term, and whose I am is when we do it together. There are times when I am, to put it nicely, a bonehead. (laughs) Anyone else? And I need loving people who say, I love you unconditionally, but you're being a jerk or whatever. And they do it in such a way that they can tell me that, but remind me also of who I really am. That's that blessing part. Hey, Ron, that's not who you are. This is who God's declared you are. Now stop acting like that. Repent. And it's a struggle for all of us. I need that. So here's the deal. Worship team can come. We're going to take communion and we're going to leave with a song and a blessing. If, If I make this choice, my choice partnered with what God already has chosen, God's already doing this, regardless of me. Sovereign, he's big, he's grand, he's great. He's long-term. He declares things about me. Now, my choice to partner with him in that will change my identity and destiny. God, I'm going to receive today who you say I am. I'm going to receive today this idea that you got something bigger going on regardless of where I'm at. I'm going to partner with you in that. It'll change your identity, your destiny, when we realize we are part of a family, the family of God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Each week here, if you're new, we take communion. We wrap up with communion, song, blessing, prayer. There's prayer partners at the back. If you need prayer specific for something this morning, you already heard, you can put it on a card too. Get it in the offering box. We'll pray with you. I love in the story we've seen over the weeks, we saw it again today, that Joseph, Judah, and others, they're advocates. Man, there's all these great, beautiful things going on. They stand up, they provide, they, they proclaim, they assist, they give, they love. And ultimately, when we take community, we remember that Jesus is our advocate. He is our provider. Jesus gives us identity, destiny, and he has adopted us into the family of God. So when we take communion today, there is an element of that that we say, thank you for declaring through the cross that yes, I'm a sinner, but I need saving. So by your death, I can now become one of your sons and daughters. I'm loved because of what he's done. There's identity all over that. There's identity in when we take communion. Thank you for who you are, what you've done, so I could be who you declare I am through your word. And thank you for you've brought us into the family because of your death, burial, and resurrection. First Timothy says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, advocate who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Identity, destiny, family. Father, today 
we embrace those very things through communion, through a song, through prayer, through blessing, and then through living this life in the community of people that need to hear it. Reshape us. Refocus us. May we realize that we can't do it apart from you. And thank you. There's someone here today that's lost their identity. They're, they're declaring, I don't know who I am. They're crying out. I don't know. God, I pray that you meet them right there, right now, whatever that needs to look like. If someone's ready, may they repent and just declare, God, forgive me of sin. I receive your good news of what Jesus has done. I need his transforming work. Forgive me of sin. May they receive the truth that they are now your beloved son and daughter. In Jesus' name, amen.